I'm Stacy. I'm Jenny. And this is Learning for Life, a homeschool podcast. We are two homeschoolers who use different methods, curriculum, and strategies to make it all work. Our goal is to help parents teach kids how to develop a lifelong love of learning. Welcome back, everybody. I am so excited about this episode. In this episode, we are talking about how to teach Shakespeare to kids and how to make it fun with Erin Ziegler, who is the host of the Chop Bard podcast. Aaron is an expert on everything Shakespeare, seriously, and he loves making Shakespeare fun for all audiences. You are going to really love this episode if you're like, you know, kind of semi-interested in teaching Shakespeare, but you're a little, a little nervous, but you want to dip your toe in, and you're just not sure how to even approach the subject. If you guys can't tell, Jenny is super excited, so I'm going to make this all very short and sweet. If you are new here, hello, I'm Stacy, and you just heard Jenny. We are your hosts, and we, on this podcast, discuss all things related to homeschooling to help you instill a love of learning in your children. If you have any questions, you can see all of our resources for this podcast, including the show notes, at kidslearningforlife.com. All right, so we talked to Aaron Ziegler, who is like my favorite podcast host ever. I'm like beside myself. Um, He is such a cool guy. He's so nice. He spent so much time talking to us about this. And you can tell he just, he loves talking about Shakespeare and just like the arts in general so much. He is the host of the Chop Bard podcast, which actually goes scene by scene with all these different Shakespeare plays so that you really understand what's going on. Say you're like reading along or watching a version and you're kind of like, I'm a little bit lost. Aaron can help you with that. He also has a podcast called Shakespeare Sundays, and he even has an alphabet book called Shakespeare Alphabet Book, which is perfect for kids. So you should definitely check that out if you're looking for a cute little gift in your child's life. And without further ado, let's roll the tape. Hello, Erin. We are so excited to have you on here today, especially myself, who knows nothing about Shakespeare. It's Jenny that does all of the Shakespeare stuff in her homeschool, so I'm really looking forward to learn something. How are you doing? I am doing very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we are so excited to have you here, especially me, because you're like my favorite podcaster. So um, <laughs> we, I'm just like, <laughs> you, so you really are. She, she does talk about you and recommends your podcast to me. I just don't do that many podcasts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. I recommend Chop Bard to like everyone who like wants to know just even something about Shakespeare. So anyway, thank you for being here. Let's. Uh, oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I guess let's just get started with our first question. And this is a big one. So uh, I hope you're ready. Okay. I'm holding on. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Why should people take the time and effort to learn Shakespeare's works? And in, with specifically like hesitant Shakespeare parents in mind, what would you tell them about like why they should teach these things to their kids? Oh, starting off with the worst question. <laughs> um, and, and by that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a loaded it's question. Of, it's, it's, yeah, well, it's vast. Because my first answer is my, my when I think about this question, because I hear it a lot. My, my reaction is like, I don't know, you don't have to, but, but then I'm like, no, that's, that's not right. Because really it's Shakespeare is incredibly fun, mostly because it is surprising. And I, I say that just from personal experience, because in high school, I didn't love Shakespeare. I sat through school. It was taught in English. I tolerated it. When I did theater classes, I felt like 
oh, I'm supposed to like this. But even wanting to be an actor, there was no, you know, I would ask this question, why do we have to learn this? It's Mm -hmm. old. It doesn't make any sense until I saw it. I saw a, a, a scene from a production that was done really well. And all of a sudden I got it and it surprised me because it was so funny and I was laughing in unexpected places. And I I kept thinking, well, this is Shakespeare. How could this be what we were learning in class? And it seemed like something I would see on TV or something very modern. And so it was very surprising. And I think that thrill is why people should, should take a little bit of time because if you, if you get it or if you're surprised by it, it's, it's suddenly this thing that you're like, wait, I, I get this. Um, and also because it has a universal appeal is another thing. If, if uh, people are teaching their kids this, the Shakespeare is so, there's so much of his influence in Western culture that to even understand a little bit of Shakespeare, suddenly you start seeing things very differently. You, you sort of have this um, almost like a touchstone where you're like, oh, wait, I know what this is about. Or, oh, I get that. And then you sort of see influences and it connects you to 400 years ago in the past, which is pretty awesome to think that, wait, some someone 400 years ago thought and felt this and I feel this today. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, and also, you know, from a good parenting, you, you want it, what what's something healthy for your kids? Uh, I think it was the University of Liverpool did a study of people reading Shakespeare and they noticed that when they would read it, there was, um, they, I think they called it an excited positive brain activity. And they realized it's almost like as, like a muscle when the brain is encountering something that it's not used to. And I think music does a similar thing when you're learning music. It excites the brain and suddenly the brain has to grow and change. So from a, from a scientific perspective, Shakespeare actually is good for the brain. And then also another benefit, if if your kids end up liking it, it can really just soak up a lot of their excess energy. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I love everything that you just said. And you really like that all kind of just ran the whole gamut. And um, I know that's a hard question to answer because like you said, it's like it's a massive question. But Uh, you kind of covered all your bases. You covered like science. You covered like... I don't know, oh, yeah. just getting kids' energy out, which all of us parents are kind of looking to do anyway. Because um, I grew up doing theater, and it was like a huge mm-hmm. outlet for me, not necessarily even to express myself. I don't even know if that... I, it was more just like to have something really fun to go do, and so I wasn't getting in trouble, you know? So yeah, um, I yeah. think especially something like that's so dense and rich as Shakespeare, I feel like even just taking the time during rehearsals to kind of break down what's going on here, what can the what can the you know stage directions be to to make the scene better um mm-hmm. i think kids would really enjoy that kind of thing there is a lot of interaction with the script with the text if like you said figuring things out that's actually another i, I could add that to my list actually i'll steal it from you <laughs> that it gets kids involved because the text is only a blueprint and until it's up on its feet and they're interacting with it it's not complete so by giving the kids a scene and reading this, there's they have to do the rest of the work and figure out, okay, how would you make this look? So it's not just passively reading it because a lot of times the scripts, they can be really dry until you put them on their feet and people do stuff with it. And then all of a sudden it's, it's alive, it's not dry. 
Yeah, I love that point because it takes it back to how you were saying that what is written in the script are feelings from somebody 400 years ago. And so mm. you kind of have to, you know, to make theater more exciting, uh, feel that those same feelings and kind of understand all of that. And for a child to start being able to know what those feelings are and be able to express mm -hmm. those is really interesting just from an emotional uh, standpoint. Yeah, and oh, also, yeah. And, and reading old things, which is something that I've been doing a lot lately. Like, I mean, for example, I read my first like Shakespeare play. I read King Lear, which I didn't know anything about. That was like Ooh. a huge like... Um, it, it, it was like using a different kind of muscle because mm -hmm. you really have to understand what you're reading. But it's but I mean, you're right, Aaron. It's so universal because when you're reading it, it's like you're connecting with Cordelia who has to like um, go against something that her parents are saying or you're connecting with. Um, now I'm forgetting the characters names because I'm doing a different play now. But um, <laughs> the son who like is trying to like hide something from his parents because he's like, I don't know. It's just it's just the whole thing was it just really makes you feel like connected to humanity in general. Yeah. And I'll and I forget their names. all. Edgar, the time Edgar, <laughs> Edgar. I know there's Edgar and Edmund and I yes. always have to pause and think, which one is, is the bad one? And then I do that, especially with Lear, because with the daughters and all that i can never remember who's who mm -hmm. um unless but it in a way it doesn't matter when you see it on the stage you recognize people um but yeah it, it that that idea of connecting with it i think is really powerful because i think that's really how you get kids hooked on it is if they read something and i, I don't know if you can plan that but if they stumble across something that they go wait that's that's me i feel that then they're hooked because it's the there's something in the way the poetry is written it's very dreamlike mm -hmm. and it it can be very malleable and it can fit um it can bend around to people's modern lives and you feel like well this is about me and that's really what everybody wants is they want it to be about them <laughs> yeah yeah that's true and okay so that's all like really, really great information for why we should learn Shakespeare. Now, mm -hmm. let's go into how. How do you think parents should teach Shakespeare to their kids? What is a way that will get kids really excited about it? Oh, that's another, that's a really good one. <laughs> um, I think part of it, the the first step, I think, is just show it to them in, in the beginning. Um, I think when I started it, we would read it and then we would see it, but we were watching like old BBC 1970s mm -hmm. and we, I, we weren't ready for that. It wasn't, it didn't pull us in. Um, but like I said, when I saw a scene, I think it was from Merry Wives and it was a high school theater festival and the way they did it, it was slapstick and it was funny. And all of a sudden I was engaged and it made me want to read it. So I think showing it to the student first, uh, finding a good production, um, I think, is the is the best way to start because then you can take the script and then they read it and they're like, they're they have in their head what they saw and then they get to experience, oh, this is different because a lot of times it changes or if they have a reaction to what they saw and then they read it, it kind of carries over. Mm -hmm. um, or I mean, you can you can read it, it might be a little bit of a struggle, but usually when they see it. Um, and one of the things I would recommend, I just started looking at this uh, Shakespeare's Globe. If anybody, you know, if people can't afford a ticket to go there and see it, 
um, they actually are streaming their productions online. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can rent them or you can buy DVDs. I actually own several of their DVDs because I haven't actually gotten to see any live productions. But I, their productions are, one, they're family-friendly. And what I like about them is they include the audience, which is another big part of Shakespeare because a lot of the characters speak to the audience and interact with them. And I think if kids can go to a live performance and experience that or they can see it, it takes a lot of pressure off because suddenly you're like, oh, wait, they're talking to me. I'm, I'm kind of part of this thing. And move because movies are good where they make a movie of Shakespeare, but usually they I think they try and do too much realism, and sometimes it it's it's a barrier I find. Uh, some movies are better than others, but I think for the first initial showing kids some bonkers thing on stage where people <laughs> are talking to the audience and pulling people on stage or interacting with them, I think that's a way to make kids excited and think, well, wait, what what is this? What what's going on? And then I, I think at that point, once you've shown it to them, you can kind of gauge their interest and see how to proceed. I mean, because some kids, there might be kids who would prefer to read it and study it before they see it. And, you know, each parent would know that. Um, but if you're not sure, I would say start by showing it to them. And then depending on their age, you might want to tell them a synopsis or a, my whole thing about Shakespeare is just throw people in. If they know nothing, throw them in the audience and let them see what happens. Because I think a lot of times if people go in with an open mind, they'll be shocked at how much they understand. As long as you don't try and get stuck on words. Like if you're like, what did he just say? If you just let it all go and let the play wash over you, you can always go back and read it. But sometimes it's it's pretty amazing what can happen. Right. And I like what you said about even a synopsis, because um, like the way that I introduced my kids to Shakespeare at first, because I wasn't sure if I would be able to find something that was appropriate for them. I mean, this was last year, so they were four and six. So like Ah, they I just um, what I did was I read them the um, the versions from Tales from Shakespeare by Charles and Mary Lamb. Yeah, and, I've heard of that. Yeah, and it's it's cool because it does keep a lot of that Shakespearean language. So when we finally did, we started with The Tempest. So I read them mm. the, that synopsis. It took, you know, less than an hour for me to read the shortened version of the play to them. And then um, I was able to find a version. I think it's by the Royal Shakespeare Company. And it was really good. And I think because they were already exposed to some of that Shakespearean language, then the play wasn't so jarring for them. But also, Mm. I feel like they wouldn't have even really been that taken aback anyway if they had just watched it at first. Because when you're watching something, I mean, like you were saying with Shakespeare, it's all about like the feeling. It's not about just the words. So I, I definitely agree. It's like either just have them watch it, especially if they're young or like, you know, read some sort of summary to them. There's also, um, beautiful tales from Shakespeare by Edith Nesbitt. That's another version that people can, can read, but yeah, just watching something really draws them in for sure. There's, um, also, I, I think it's called Shakespeare retold. It's a DVD series of the BBC, I think did it. And it, they take Shakespeare stories and they kind of bake them down into like a, I think it was an hour episode, but they're modern. And they there's no real Shakespeare dialogue, but they tell a version of the story. Some of them are more family friendly than the others. Right. Um, Taming of the Shrew, definitely not for kids. <laughs> um, but if you're an adult and you see it, you're just like, oh, now I understand Kate. She's really horrible. 
um, but delightful. Um, so though I can't remember exactly how I think they're most of them were were family friendly, um, but it might be a good way something to watch to kind of get a handle on it and then teach the kids. Definitely. Okay, so now that we've talked about ways that parents should teach their kids Shakespeare, let's talk about what parents shouldn't do when teaching Shakespeare. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that's I I I think that's one of the fuels that drives me is what not to do um, for some reason. But uh, first, well, first thing I would say to parents teaching is don't stress about it. This is supposed to be entertainment. You're, I mean, really, you're, you're, you're only opening up your kids to Shakespeare. You're, you're really, if anything, training them or getting them to be attentive audience members. You're, you're not responsible for turning them into Shakespearean actors. So there's, there's no stress in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say another big don't is don't get caught up in the words um, when you're seeing it or when you're reading it. Because sometimes that can that can trip you up, um, and if you wait just a little bit, sometimes the larger ideas will unfold, uh, and then you can always work backwards, which is a great thing when you finish a, a scene or a, a speech, and you go, okay, I think I know what he's talking about, and then you can work backwards to the part that tripped you up, and then understand it. The other day, I spent ten minutes trying to figure out what something was, and then two lines later. The actor, the character repeated himself and explained what he'd just said. And I was like, if I had just kept going, I, there's my answer right there. So, right. (laughs) um, So that's one of the don'ts. And then I think another big don't is don't actually study Shakespeare, the person, but study the characters and the stories. Because, in a, in a, when it comes down to it, Shakespeare is really only as good as the stories. Uh, that the impact that they have on you and I think sometimes schools and and classes and and advice people get so caught up on this general Shakespeare of this general idea of Shakespeare but they forget that it's it's the stories and the characters that we're studying because Shakespeare was nothing without those so if you if you're looking at that as opposed to this this person called Shakespeare, that can take some of the pressure off because then you can criticize him. You can say, well, I don't know who this guy is, but that wasn't a very good thing that I just read. And now it's time for a quick break, so stick around. Have you been looking for a way to supplement your child's learning in one subject or even need a full year plan in a subject? Evan Moore creates workbooks and materials for students in pre-K through eighth grade. They offer over 400 titles across subject areas, including language arts, reading, writing, math, science, social studies, and the arts. Some of my favorite workbooks are their daily workbooks. You can find daily writing, daily math practice, daily vocabulary, and so many others. I love these daily books because they are short lessons that allow your child to practice the concept a little at a time throughout the entire year. This makes it easy for your child to learn and retain the content. You can find Evanmore materials available in print and digital format. And you can feel confident with your purchase by knowing that Evanmore products are based on the latest standards and educational best practices. So check out our link in the show notes below to check out their products for yourself. And now, back to the show. 
Wow. I'm, I'm like over here taking notes um, because like I'm getting all excited to be able to try this out. But I mean, your tip of showing it first, you know, I, I'm actually doing that backwards with like reading stories with my kids. We'll read it first and then they have to watch it. But you make such a good point how Shakespeare, it's not like a book that's meant to be read. It's meant to right. be shown. So that way that that's, you know, all my kids would love. Yeah, we get to sit down and watch watch a show. Sure, let's do that. I'm sure they'll be totally on board. Um, and then all about how not getting caught up on the words, because that is my biggest problem. Like, again, I had a similar experience to you in high school. I just hated Shakespeare. You hear the word, oh, we're reading a Shakespeare play. Again, because we were always reading mm -hmm. it. And it just was not my cup of tea. But and then the vocabulary was so old timey that especially for a high school me, I just didn't know. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. And so, but you're right. Like a lot of it does get told as you keep reading. So that, that kind of helps too. Did you do the thing in high school where the teacher would just make everybody read, but you'd go in, in line, like you'd read for a while and then the teacher would say, okay, next. And then the person behind him. Oh yeah. The up. popcorn reading was always the oh, worst. Cause they're just terrifying. like, you don't know, it might be you or maybe not. And so I was like, I can't even prepare. Like I can't even read ahead on what my part is. <laughs> I, I hated that. I wish if they had given a scene, like a prepared reading and said, okay, come in tomorrow and read this scene. Um, that would have been great. Or I had a, in college, we had a, at an art class where the teacher it was half actors and half business majors. And so he gave everybody a choice <laughs> when we would we would study um, art and a, a certain history and everybody would pick a person to write about. And he'd say, okay, you can write a paper about this or you can study them and come in and be that person and I'll ask you questions. And based on your answers, I'll know how well you've studied this person. And he did that because a lot of people were actors, but he told the business majors, if you want to do that, you can. Um, none of the actors ever wrote papers because we thought, oh, well, I'm not going to write a paper. But there was something about studying it for a role and you had to become that person and then they would ask you questions. And it was fun, but it, it probably I researched those people more than if I had been writing a paper. So that's yeah, a, that's really interesting. Well, yeah, the best way to learn something is to have to teach it. So yeah, um, yeah. I, th I think that's why acting is also like such a good tool because I've heard of also families like having their kids put on little productions of it. And it doesn't have to be word for word Shakespeare, but like just yeah, to make yeah. sure they're getting the plot and like kind of each each act kind of what's the action that's happening there. And I mean, I know from my own experience, I'm not like I consider myself like a child actor, but I just did a lot of theater when I was a child, but I wasn't like, you know, famous by any means. But um, yeah. I kind of stopped in high school or a little bit later. But I remember, you know, I was introduced to Shakespeare back when I was in like the sixth or seventh grade. We did a like a version of Romeo and Juliet and it was set in modern day. And so to me, I kind of have an opposite experience because like I was introduced to the kind of language. I played the equivalent to what would be like the prince. So I had that opening monologue okay. thing where I'm like, I forget what oh, it is like yeah. stop everyone stop fighting and you know um and that it was like I had to actually like learn how to speak like that which is really hard um acting wise for probably most people <laughs> but we were all kids doing oh, yeah. it um and so for me getting to high school I was like oh I already know this play because I think most people do Romeo and Juliet in high school which um is cool yeah. but 
I don't think the ninth teachers grade are equipped. standard. Ninth grade standard? At least in California, yes. Oh, well, good mm. to know. Yeah. So anyway, now that we're talking about specific plays, Erin, do you have yes. any particular plays in mind that you think families might want to start with as kind of an entry point? Yeah, actually, uh, that's something I get asked a lot because um, there's so many plays and it's kind of it all. I mean, it really it all comes down to how they're done, really. But there are some that usually tend to be better more often than others. Um, I would say if you're going to see one, if you're if you're going to if you're think, thinking, well, I, I want to pick a play to show the kids. I would recommend Comedy of Errors. Uh, specifically the one the globe did it's insane it's i mean it's his this play isn't regarded a lot by people but it's actually a really wonderful story and if for a beginning I, I wouldn't recommend reading it now that's my caveat with this one i wouldn't recommend studying it or reading it it gets a little dry mm. but to see it it's things like people banging on doors and getting slapped and twins getting mistaken and it's very quick um, and it, it's colorful. It's like a Warner Brothers cartoon. It's very fr family friendly too. So it's, it's, that's a, a good one to see. Okay. But if you're going to see one and read it, particular favorites, I love The Tempest. Mm -hmm. That's one. I love the play, but productions aren't always the best. That Sometimes one's a tricky they're... one production wise because yeah. there's like a storm. There's like a weird monster guy. Like I could see how that one is tricky. It, it's tricky, especially because the the magic of it is so subtle. Like uh, in high school, we did a scene with the with the goddesses where mm -hmm. Prospero's married off his daughter and he summons the goddesses. Which and they that's give their a very blessing. strange scene. I it, still don't understand it. <laughs> it and it's long. Yeah. and the goddesses talk to one another, and it's really boring. And and I, well, I used to think that, and then I went to Oregon, and they were doing the Tempest, and I thought, okay, I'll we'll see this. And from the first moment, they it captivated me, and it was it was the stuff they add to the script. Like at the very beginning, Prospero comes out, and he's above the set, and there was no music, no sound, and he's flipping through a book, and all of a sudden he puts his hand in the air and starts spinning it, and this wind comes and starts turning the pages, and there was a globe that just started turning, and then there there was thunder, and the lights went out, and then they were at the storm, but it was. There was this setup, this slow, easy setup. And then when we got to the goddess scene, I was like, okay, here we go. I better <laughs> tuck in. And all of a sudden the stage doors, the floor opened, the back walls opened, and these giant, illuminescent, 10-foot puppets come out that took like four or five people to operate. And they rise up, and then the goddesses, their voices were like magnified, and they, were, they sang most of their lines. And it was so enchanting and then I remembered that Shakespeare put a lot of pageants in his plays because the audiences love special effects and pageantry. And it, this is what that scene is actually meant to be. It's meant to be a special effects showcase. But when you read it or most people, they either cut it or they just think, oh, it's goddesses talking. But this production realized, okay, it's a Shakespeare pageant. We have to wow the audience. So that's all that scene is. And they nailed it. I, I felt like I was in a trance. It became one of the most beautiful moments in theater that I'd ever witnessed because they understood it and then they showed it to me. And then I was like, oh, oh, it, oh, that kind of pageant. Like mm -hmm. the uh, Marvel movies, you know, where you have 
the big special effects. And so that's why if, if they nail that production, that's why The Tempest is, is one of my favorites for seeing and reading. I would also say this is this kind of surprises me that I say this, but The Winter's Tale, mm-hmm. uh, which is it's very adult themes. But at the same time, I realized, well, kids understand jealousy. Kids understand accusations that don't have any merit. Mm-hmm. Um, people acting not like themselves was and in the second half of it is like a fairy tale right so as i was i was looking at it i was like well actually yeah kids kids would get this this is it's it's very bizarre and dreamlike that's the one that we're actually doing right now and i found the winter's tale yeah and my kids actually really liked it because there's actually like a kid in it in that first Mm -hmm. half and and then they also loved like perdita I think that's how you say oh. her name in the second half because yeah, they yeah. just love like a beautiful princess girl, you know. So, yeah, I, I oh, agree. And, and she's awesome too. Like, it's it's amazing how a lot of the female characters in Shakespeare are not what that time period would lead us to believe. Perdita, because I mean, in that play, it's funny. The lovers, um, Florizel is a, a total idiot. I mean, he's awesome, <laughs> but he's 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 kind of head over heels in love and he's not always thinking she's the one that's smart and thinking and progressive. Like it's just, it's weird sometimes reading his plays that it's, they sometimes they seem a little ahead of their time, which is nice. Yeah. I've noticed that too, because there's kind of a conversation going on in the greater community these days and education where people Mm. are kind of talking about not doing Shakespeare anymore because it's antiquated and the way that women are portrayed is maybe not the most positive but in my experience I mean yeah there's less female characters because females didn't act on stage but um to right, me, right. the female characters are really super dynamic and actually quite powerful. Oh, yeah. And my argument is because these are scripts, they're meant to adapt with the time. And I've seen productions where women are playing men's roles and they're not even trying to. They're just playing the role. And Shakespeare's language is so strange. You kind of accept whatever you see. So... It, it because it's not realism, you can get away with a lot. I saw a friend of mine was in a production of the history plays. They, they did all of them. And it was an ensemble and it was men and women and they would just play all kind of character of York. It's a very strong, aggressive man. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend, um, she played him and she was amazing. Sometimes switching the gender works not meaning not changing the script but just having an actress play man's role without doing much it can have amazing effects well so since we've talked about some plays that are good to start out with are there ones that you would suggest for like the Mm -hmm. next level like middle school or high school that maybe have slightly more mature content or maybe are a little bit more complex yeah i would say hamlet because there's not as much happening when, when people are young. It just seems like he talks a lot. Um, so if you're when you're old, you can get it. I would actually almost say Romeo and Juliet a little later mm-hmm. because of the things the characters are going through. I think a little later, the uh, younger kids around 14, 16, 17 would maybe identify a little more. Um, and people say Julius Caesar, but I don't know. I don't know if 
if it's exciting enough for kids. I mean, it's got amazing dialogue and stuff. Um, but instead of that, I would say Henry the Fourth Part One mm-hmm. would be great, um, just because it's got the child-parent relationship. It's got the um, sort of stand-in parent who's not a very good influence. It's got young rivals. I mean, it's it, it's that one. I'm surprised people don't do in school more. It's well because really it's one of the history written. plays, and I think people are afraid of right. those. Because I've heard you talk about Which, this. Because I just did Richard the Second through your podcast, and I watched the um, mm-hmm. the version with David Tennant as um, oh, yeah, Richard the yeah. Second. It's a stage play version. It's not a like a film version and i really really liked that and i'm like why don't we talk about the history plays more these are great they should rename them because people hear history and they think boring but they're really they're not accurate right Um, they're kind of (laughs) loosely based on history but they're more especially the henry fours they're just some crazy adventure that shakespeare made up that I, i think that's what turned me around when i when i read those and realizing how funny they are and they're more they're kind of more like tragedies. Right, exactly. They're not boring. And like you said, they're not historically accurate. So if you're teaching your no. kids these plays, don't don't approach Shakespeare from a historical perspective necessarily. I think there's like a, there's kind of like a little bit of, I guess, guideline there about kind of roughly what was going on. But I mean, yeah. the specific people and the specific things happening are not exactly accurate. So would you guys say that what what you're talking about here is kind of similar to how Hamilton was put out recently? And, you know, it is loosely based on John Hamilton's life. But there's, you know, some facts that were kind of added in, but not is is that kind of what we're talking about here? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually think that's a great example, because you could take what they did with that play and do it with any Shakespeare play, and it would still work. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. think... um, I don't think people need to be stuck, especially in the history plays. They think, oh, these were all white Europeans. We have to stick with that. Because Shakespeare doesn't really respect history, we don't need to. And mm-hmm. because they didn't actually speak in poetry, it could be anybody. And I mean, I've seen multicultural casting where the father and mother were different races than the kids, and somehow we buy it all. And I again, I think it's because of the poetry, because we're just watching these people. And yeah, I think that's Hamilton's. A, that's a great example. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's what's so fun about theater is you can kind of just change things and be super creative and kind of like, I don't know, directors just have a lot of artistic freedom. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you, since I'm kind of a nerd of your show and I've never heard you like say this, maybe I missed an episode, but I'm curious what your favorite Shakespeare play is and why. Oh, man. Uh, the best answer I ever heard from this, it's kind of a cheat, so I, it won't be my answer. But the best mm. answer was is the one I'm working on. But <laughs> I, I, that's that's not fun. Um, there's there's actually two that I go back and forth. Um, one of them is Richard II mm-hmm. because it's just so beautiful. I think it's one of the only ones that's completely written in verse. Even the gardener speaks verse. Which I love is it. Not usual. Um, and. The, one of the reasons I like that one is because the, there's a bunch of unspoken lines that play a major part in what happens. And that fascinates me that Shakespeare, who writes so much of of emotions and feelings, would include some of the most important plot things are unspoken. Um, they're assumed, which I think is a, is a great learning thing. Um, but I think 
that's like almost the top, but a sliver above that one is Twelfth Night. Mm. I think it's my absolute all-time favorite. Um, well, you were in I that one before, I know, right? I've I've been in that one, um, and it was it was such a delight to be in it because I'd had such a history with that play before being in it. I'd loved it, and I think because it's it's one of those talking about exciting the brain. It's it's this over the top comedy. When you sit down and you start watching it, you're like, oh, okay, it's just this silly comedy, and yet throughout, it's balanced with such sorrow and grief. On a, on a realistic level mm-hmm. that it it's it's kind of how they they mesh these two is so beautiful and then the thing that really I think delights me about the play is the surprising unexpected consequences the first half there's all this fooling around and and comedy mm-hmm. which we've seen and we're used to but all of those things get paid for in the end they all have realistic consequences which you don't often see in a play and I, it, all of a sudden, it almost becomes a tragedy. This right. there's this the Malvolio, he's such an awful person, and they make such fun of him, and they they start having these games with him, and it goes too far, and then at the end, you actually feel sorry for him, and that kind of turn, it it's it's mesmerizing because all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, I hated that guy, and now I feel bad for him. What does that say about me? <laughs> and I was laughing at him just like they were, and we all went too far. Like it, and yet it, and then it's, but it, it's not an accusing play. It's not like pointing a finger. And it's just, it's, there's music in it. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, it's really like sitting down to a dream. Um, the, f- I think one of the first productions I saw of it, the thing that, that really summed up the play, it's not even in the text, but this production, they had a moon with light bulbs around the edge, like lighting it up. And it, it came down at intermission and one of the bulbs was out. And so people are sitting there going, oh man, look at that. They, what, what production design? There's a light bulb out. Some technicians in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh man, somebody's going to get fired. And right before the intermission was done, Festy, who's the fool who sort of is aware of the audience, at least in this production, he comes walking on stage with a ladder puts the ladder up, climbs up, changes the light bulb on the moon, gives the audience a look, and then leaves. And it was like, they got us. And that is what that play is, is they set you up, you think you see something or you know something, but the play is ahead of you. And it looks, and then it looks directly at you and says, did you see that? Did you see what we did? And it, that's those, those moments in Shakespeare that they just, they sort of, you almost like, feel like you've been pushed out of your body for a second and you're floating because you've just witnessed something that's like how how did how did I not see that or what just happened that is so interesting and so cool that that's my favorite part about theater in general is just the audience interactions so I don't know if you know this but I totally love Disneyland and one of my favorite things to do is to go well not any they now they have frozen but they used to have the Aladdin theater show and my favorite part about that was the whole breaking of the fourth wall and the genie character would do that. And while all the actors are great, every time you went to see it, he would always change it up by adding some like more modern jokes. So I remember him was talking about like he loved Jasmine's uh, dress and he said, oh, it's gold and white. No, it's blue and blue and black based on like some internet thing that was going around oh, yeah. the dress oh, right, um, yeah. that changed colors based on who was looking at it. 
But so it was just really cool to see some of that stuff. And that's just what you're saying is just reminding me of like all the favorite things that I love about theater. And I did not, I've never seen this side of like Shakespeare having that or anything like that. So this is just really interesting and making me excited. Oh, cool. Yay. No, I, I have to tell you, I was like thinking about, this is like a few years ago. I was thinking about auditioning for like, you know, a community theater production of, I think it was The Merchant of Venice. And it said, um, in like the audition instructions or whatever, it said, everyone needs to be comfortable with wearing roller skates. And I was like, what? And I guess they were like, <laughs> roller skates. Yes. They were setting out to make it like, I don't know exactly, but everyone was going to be wearing roller skates in it. So I don't, I I guess, like, I mean, people can do whatever they want with Shakespeare, clearly. Oh, yeah. it It's kind of, I saw a production where one of the fools was on rollerblades mm. and he'd just zip around and it, it made sense, but it was making me anxious because I was like, do I need to learn how to rollerblade now? Yeah, to, like, to is compete? this the new thing in theater? Like the new fad? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't even know if I remember how to rollerblade. And then also I just decided against it in general. But um, I mean, yeah, literally you could pretty much do anything on stage at this point with the way that like technical theater is going. And um, I guess just the desperate things (laughs) actors will do, as we know. Um, So anyway, you've talked a little bit about about being an actor and you're like, clearly, you know, a lot about Shakespeare. I want to know exactly like what inspired you to start the Chop Bard podcast? I think at the started it, um, it was in 2008 and podcasting had been out for a couple years and I'd, I'd started listening and I thought, well, this is a really great new medium, a great way to communicate. Uh, when I was a kid, I make audio performances for my parents. I'd do these plays and do all the characters and I'd record them and then make a tape. And were then you an only child? Play it while they were trying. Yes, I was. Same same <laughs> here. Yeah, you you sound a lot like me. That's exactly what I used to do. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. I, well, and so my poor parents would be trying to eat dinner and I'd be playing this tape. Um, so that was always in my head. So when I was hearing about podcasting, I was like, oh, this is a a great way. Like, I wouldn't have to wait to audition to to act or do stuff. I could, you know, fill up, fill the time in between. Uh, and then so I start thinking, well, what should I talk about? And hearing people, most people saying, well, it's something you're passionate about. And about the same time, um, I had recently done uh, Princeton Shakespeare. We'd done a couple performances. And then they, they shut down or they moved away. And it was in this garden. And it was we'd done Twelfth Night was the last production I did with them. And it had been such a great experience. The actors were really – they just – they under they got the the purpose of Shakespeare, and we'd have families come out on the lawn, um, little kids and all all ages, and then we'd walk through the town between shows, and people would stop us on the street and say, "Oh, when are you going to do your next show?" And these were just normal families, like they weren't Princeton scholars or anything. They just they loved it, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that's that's the intention of Shakespeare. That's is what it's supposed to be. It, it brings out community, and it's 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 hard work for the actors. But it shouldn't be hard work for the audience. And I hadn't experienced that a lot. Mostly it was going to shows. They were doing Shakespeare because they they felt like they should or they'd get an audience and then they didn't have any good ideas. There was nothing exciting happening. It was just we're doing Shakespeare because. And it's, you know, there was a few roles I turned down just because I was like, well, this company, why am I going to spend the next several months involved in this? the audience isn't going to like this. And so then I started realizing, well, that's 
what I should talk about because when I would tell people I liked Shakespeare, they'd get this fear in their eye and this dread. Mm -hmm. And I realized that's what I wanted to do. So that was the inspiration for this podcast is this desire to eliminate that fear of Shakespeare and try and convince people that it was actually joyful, that they could discover that. Um, and partially because I think a lot of the the world around Shakespeare can get really snooty, uh, mm -hmm. especially auditioning. I remember once in San Diego, um, there was a big thing. Richard Easton was directing a play and he was going to teach a class on the side. And he's, he was, I think he was, um, he was one of the characters in Henry V with uh, Kenneth Branagh. Mm. He's a famous English actor. He's been around forever. And at, at the time I'd seen Henry V, I loved the, the movie and he was in it and I knew who he was. And I was like, oh, I have to go audition for this guy at least. And so I, I got my best. I was doing Touchstone and I got all prepared. I'd been doing this for years, so I was really confident. And I went in. And he was just sort of sitting there, and he's like, and what will you be doing today? And I said, I'll, I'll be doing Touchstone. And he just took a moment, and he looked at me and said, we'll see. <laughs> and it was kind of funny, and I, he, can't, he, got, he put me in the class, so I guess it was good. But that, that moment of, I, I see that a lot in Shakespeare, that, that little bit of snobbery of, well, I know Shakespeare, and you clearly don't, so I'll, I'll tell you a thing or two. Um, and I think one of the things, as I started venturing out with the podcast, because I thought, well, I'll just share my joy. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. But what I started finding is people, it was like a relief that someone gave people a permission. Wait, you mean I can, I can like this and I don't have to be an expert? Right. And I, I've been shocked at how many emails I'll get where people say, well, I don't know anything about Shakespeare, but when I hear this, and then they go to, to tell me something that is astounding that I hadn't known about Shakespeare, they're, and they're drawing from their own lives. So as soon as that, that barrier was removed, suddenly people open up and they're, they, they'll tell me things that are exactly right. I had, uh, when we did Macbeth, I remember I got an email I was, we were talking about Lady Macbeth, and then I got an email from someone who said that she understood Lady Macbeth because, and she had an opinion about it. She says, you know, I don't, I don't know much. I'm not a Shakespeare expert, but I think Lady Macbeth uh, lost a child, and that's why she's acting like this. And then mm -hmm. she went on to tell me that she had years ago she'd given birth to a boy, and he only lived for a few days, and then he he died, and she remembered what she felt and she said the only thing in the world that she wanted was her son and that's the one thing she couldn't have and so she just wanted to burn the whole world down mm -hmm. and she said that's what lady macbeth is feeling and i still remember that email because i thought you know more about shakespeare than i do in this case and i was like i can't imagine lady macbeth any other way right. there's there's clues i think in the script that support that mm -hmm. but here is this person that was thinks they didn't know anything about it and they removed that fear and they imparted something that I was like, that's dead on. That's absolutely right. And I remember you mentioning that in the show and that really did make an impact on the way that I 
like took in that play too because you know it's so easy to think oh she's just an evil woman she wants to control her husband she wants to have power but mm -hmm. if you think about it from a place of like loss and grief it's kind of different and it makes her an especially sympathetic character towards the end um yeah because she gets in over her head a little bit <laughs> and I, I think most shakespeare characters there's there really is that like right now we're doing richard the third on the show and i mean agreed he's he's a monster but at the same time, you you just think, well, where did, you know, at that period of time, the way he looks, what did he go through? And you start to, to empathize, maybe not with what he does, but emotionally where he is. And I think all of Shakespeare's villains, you can find that in them, that they are damaged people. And sometimes some of Richard's stuff, I'm like, yeah, I've had days like that where <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, the characters are so alive. Um, yeah. I totally agree with you. Uh, okay, well, we've been talking for a while, and I think that our audience would just love to hear what your recommendation of the week is for us, Aaron. My recommendation, and this is something I've had for years, and I sometimes forget to use it. It's, and this is, I thought, specifically for parents teaching their kids, this is would be very helpful. It is called The Friendly Shakespeare. It's a book by Nori Epstein and is a big, giant red book. It's huge. It's like 547 pages with small type. But it's not the kind of book you just sit down and read. It's a reference book. And it is filled. It's so big because it just gives you these nice tastings of information and it's there you can always there can always obviously be obviously be more but it's so thorough and complete that if you're teaching Shakespeare and suddenly your kid asks some question that you're not prepared for you can grab this book and it covers plays it covers themes um, it's got interviews uh, quotes from famous actors about uh, what was one of them why why Shakespeare's important, uh, and it, it's just filled with stuff. And every now and then, I'll pick it up and look through it, and it's it's a great, not only starting point, but I still refer to it because it just it contains so much. And I was I was trying to think of a, a what an, a good recommendation, and I was realizing, well, this if you had to get one book that would cover any th possibilities, this one I would highly recommend. And also, it's the cover's got a, a cartoon angry looking Shakespeare on the cover, which I kind of like. It's, it seems a little irreverent. Uh, and the style is, it's not snooty at all. It, um, it, it, I think it just has enough and it's, there's nothing intimidating about the book, except the size. It seems intimidating until you start flipping through it and you realize, oh, I could read that in 15 minutes, these, these little snippets. I love that recommendation. We love a good book. And our kids especially love like just flipping through books all the time. So that's like, mm -hmm. that's a great recommendation. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. So if people want to know more about you and what you do on Chopbard, where can people find you online? People can find me. Um, you can look up AaronZigler.com, E-H-R-E-N. Anyway, how do I spell my name? Now? I've been talking <laughs> about Shakespeare so long, I forgot who I am. E-H-R-E-N-Z-I-E-G-L-E-R. Um, that's just some of the art that I do, but mostly uh, chopbard.com is where I put all my stuff. We have, uh, we're on Facebook and we do updates just mostly about the show, but usually going there, 
getting the shows. Um, I talk about if there's ever um, updates, I post it. But usually I just say stuff on the show. But yeah, that's uh, that's where I hang out online. Or um, Shakespeare Sundays with Chop Bard, where we're currently doing the sonnets. How exciting. It's sort of a side project because sometimes the shows would come out. It would be so long between shows. I thought, well, I should do something quick. And so I started doing readings, little readings. And now we're going through all the sonnets. And I just did sonnet 119. So we're nearly wow. done. The sonnets are something I literally know nothing about. So I actually do need to check that out because I, I haven't listened to that one, admittedly. And uh, I'm curious now. I'm really intrigued to learn more about the sonnets. It it, it has a s- smaller audience than the other show. <laughs> um, but it's it's been fun because I know nothing about the sonnets. So I basically I approach them as an actor and mm-hmm. looking at them as a story and reading. And I've, I've been surprised. Um, some of them are... are amazing some of them are really bad <laughs> some of them are he repeats and so i i i'm thinking did, is he just trying to perfect this um and then some of them there was one i read the other day that made me think that he didn't like being a performer or a mm-hmm. playwright it was all about being disgraced in the public eye and that he he was forced to live this way he didn't specifically say what it was but reading it it's like that kind of if this is personal this sounds like he he doesn't like his job because theater people were were scum of the earth Mm -hmm. and he was uh shakespeare did they'd have records of he was trying to get a title or a coat of arms actually and so that was something he pursued so it you when you look at some of the records it's like oh he maybe he didn't enjoy being a playwright so that was an interesting twist but they've they've um They've they've made me look at the plays sort of fresh, looking at at these writings. Um, so yeah, it's been really interesting. I'll, I'm can't wait to be finished with it because it's I I tend to work harder on them than I should sometimes because mm-hmm. it was meant to be this these little quick show like the shows are only ten minutes long, as opposed to the hour and a half chop bards. So, but sometimes I end up almost spending the same amount of time. <laughs> working on this 10-minute episode, so. Yeah, we know how that is. Well, yeah, <laughs> Shakespeare, his whole life is such a mystery. There's so little that's known about him. And, I mean, even with his works, even though they're so rich, it's like people really don't know or have a lot of background with them. So we just really appreciate all the work you do, and I just hope more people find you and enjoy your show. So thank you so oh, much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's, it was delightful. Wow, Jenny, I may be a Shakespeare, Shakespeare, it's a sphere, Shakespeare, sorry everybody, Um, now that I know how to pronounce it, I may be a Shakespeare fan now, Um, I have never heard, I guess I've never heard anybody talk about Shakespeare in that kind of atmosphere, and just very lighthearted and fun, and the tips he gave, Jenny, are amazing, don't you agree? Yeah, I totally do. I first of all love that he talked about his background with Shakespeare, that he was raised with it the same way most people are, where it's like you read Mm -hmm. it in high school, it's such a drag, and then he learned to love it later on in life, which I think that's a lot of um, people's stories is like they just kind of grow up hating it, which is kind of sad. And um, it is very sad. I feel like, you know, ninth grade, like I mentioned, it's all it's 
it's required in the standards. That's the typical ninth grade reading selection is probably where most people heard it. And it, it just drains all the fun out of it. People dread it. So that's if that's somebody's only experience, like for mm-hmm. me, of Shakespeare, why would they want to teach that to their kids? Yeah, and, and I love, he's very much, he's very passionate about people just going out and watching a Shakespeare production, which I love that approach mm-hmm. because that really is the best way to get people super excited about it, especially kids. And um, yeah, I, I think that anyone, like, I mean, Stacy, you're a perfect example. You're someone who's never really thought much about like how to teach Shakespeare in your homeschool. It kind of probably seemed very daunting before, but like hearing oh, yes. Aaron talk about it, it just seems so simple. And I think that really anyone could introduce like even some small Shakespeare element to their homeschool. And it could be really fun for the whole family, quite honestly. Yeah. And I mean, his tip to show it first is that that is just so key because that's going to help me get excited about it. Mm -hmm. And if I was able to watch a production of it, I might be able to understand the play better so that if we did go and read it on our own as well, then I might have a little bit more excitement about it. So that that was like the biggest key for me. Well, I'm so excited that you're like a new Shakespeare convert. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I will gladly like join you for a Shakespeare movie night. I love watching live productions. Like, <gasps> like would be great. Wouldn't that be fun? Like Aaron's talked about like there's not a lot of film versions that are really accurate to like the spirit of theater um, for lack of a better term. But I love like a lot of these stage play productions that I found. And something that people might not know is like my husband and I met doing theater And my husband did, like, technical theater for a while. So, like, I've gone and seen a bunch of Shakespeare plays, and he actually, like, studied some in college. So um, it's just, like, it's just kind of always been a big part of my life, and I just wish more people had a passion for it. So I'm really excited about this, and I think it would be cool to have a Shakespeare movie night. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to mention was just... The fact that he has this podcast, because I know you've you've talked to me about his podcast before, but you know, again, I didn't have the excitement of Shakespeare, and you know, not not that that one interview. I mean, it kind of changed my life, guys. I can kind of say this, um, but we'll see what gets put into practice. There's always a difference. I know. Um, so, but with his podcast, how you said he goes over it, kind of chapter or scene or wh- whatever they are, yeah, um, scene by scene. That's also going to help me better understand it along with my kids. And that is something I found in homeschooling is we're constantly learning just as much as our children are. So I just I love that he has this easy resource that we can use to better understand it at the same time. Exactly. It's such a good resource for homeschool. Like I've said many, many times, my kids love the show. Uh, We're doing the Winter's Tale right now. I kind of with them because they're so young, I kind of just skipped forward to like the later scenes because it's all just very fair fairy tale-ish kind of like what Aaron was saying so yeah there are Mm -hmm. so many different plays that he has already broken down that kids could definitely jump into and just kind of use as some as a sort of study guide but I wouldn't even say that because it's more fun than that so it's just it's a really good resource and Aaron is just like such a wealth of knowledge and he's just he's so fun and smart and I just I love talking to him Definitely. So for everybody listening, you definitely want to check out more with Aaron Ziegler. You can follow up with him at his website or his podcast, Chop Bard, or even on Facebook. So we highly encourage you to go check that out. Um, Thank you, everybody. If you have rated or reviewed our podcast, we appreciate that so, so much because it really helps us out. And if you have any questions or just ever want to reach out to us and 
say hi. You can email us at kidslearningforlife at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Kids Learning for Life. Oh, and you can also find us on YouTube at Kids Learning for Life where we share homeschool curriculum reviews, advice, and tips just for anyone who wants some extra support in their homeschool. But until then, we will see you next time.